Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Kuma Roberts is the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Arrowhead Consulting, which is a consulting firm guiding companies through the process of strategic change. She has over 10 years of organizational development experience specializing in issues around DNI, which we'll get to further during this episode. Kuma is a graduate of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Institute of Organizational Management, and she has spoken to hundreds of businesses, nonprofits, and chambers of commerce on the best practices for developing a strategic plan related to DEI. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Kuma. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be with you today. So excited to have you. I want to learn more about DNI from your perspective and how it pertains to corporations. Can you first just start out by telling us what is DNI as pertains to corporations? Sure, sure. So diversity, I think, is something that everyone gets. Diversity is really all the ways in which people differ, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm a black woman. For those of you who can't see who I am, I am a black woman, but I have a bunch of other elements of diversity that I bring to the table. I've been divorced. I've had fertility issues. I'm married to a white man. My kids have a big age gap. There's like all of these different pieces that make me who I am. So that's diversity. So yeah. then there's equity. And equity is the access and opportunity that we have to provide to people across difference. And oftentimes that means not equality where everyone gets the same thing. Equity means we're giving the right tools to the right individuals so that they can be successful in life. And then there's inclusion where a variety of people across difference have power, voice, and decision-making abilities across in the workplace and certainly across our communities and in society. So these are like the three pillars that you were talking about, right? Absolutely. Now this might even, I don't know if this is an important question or not. Probably it's more me and I am very like a stickler with linguistics as we'll find out later as we talk about that more. But what is the difference, I guess, between DEI and D and I? Yeah. So about, I'm going to say maybe it's been 10 years now, there was a really big, you know, focus on diversity and inclusion just D and I. And it's been really in the past five years, maybe six years, that people have begun to add the word equity in there because we're really looking for reducing disparity across people of difference. And so now it's become DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we've moved from D and I to DEI. Same spirit, but slightly different meaning, which with equity added in there. Absolutely. A few moments ago, you started to touch a little bit about your own history and your own family and how that itself was diverse. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Because when I hear diversity, I think of issues of race, gender, maybe sexual orientation, of course, and physical ability, things like that. But you were talking about age and the difference in whether or not your marital status might be the same as someone else's. So do all these things factor in and how do those differences in your own life affect your perception of what DNI is? Sure. 
You know, I talk about all of those differences because oftentimes when I'm speaking to groups, they're quite homogenous, typically mostly white individuals that I'm having conversations with. And uh-huh. those settings, people often sort of discount their contribution to the conversation related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So they uh-huh. look at me, they say, oh, she's a black woman. That's not my story. I don't have that history. So therefore, I don't really have anything to add to conversations related to DNI. So I bring up all all of those other elements. My father was an immigrant from another country. My mother was a Southern Baptist. I'm divorced to really connect for people that much more connects us than separates us. And everyone has something to contribute to the conversations related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And certainly diversity is more than just sort of race and age. I mean, it is all of those things, but it really is some of those other pieces that we can all connect with. It's really opportunities for us to connect. And that's how I see diversity. And so that's something that I really lean in on when I'm having conversations with my audiences and businesses that are focused on trying to advance this work for themselves. A lot of DNI has to do with policy change within corporations. And what you're talking about right now makes me want to ask you this question now rather than later in the episode, because I think it relates But I was going to ask you how much of this change is policy and how much of it is winning over the hearts and minds of the people that you're talking to. And I think part of this, I think the reason I think this plays in is because you're talking about bringing each individual in based on their own thoughts about giving them the opportunity to think about their own life and how they may have diversity they didn't even realize they had and how they can start to see from that perspective and gain that empathy how much of it is policy and how much is hearts and minds? And is that what you're referring to? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that my approach is always policy and practice change. That's what my goal is. And I'm less concerned about trying to change a heart and a mind because that is much deeper work. But for organizations, and certainly those are the ones that I worked most consistently with, they all have core values that are centered around uh, concepts related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, like inclusivity or positivity or, you know, all of these value-based things. And so to me, if we are aligning our organizational policies and practices to those values, then that's going to result in policy change. And ideally, the hearts and minds will follow, if that makes sense. So the hope is that we are sort of practicing what we're preaching, both in how we talk about how our organizations are founded, the policies that sort of gird how we interact with each other each and every day, and leverage those policies and those values in order to lead us toward changing policy to back that up. There's so much to discuss about diversity and inclusion, especially as pertains to corporations. And we have had, as I mentioned earlier, before the podcast started, we've had a few DNI directors on our show, Rebecca Francis, formerly of IEA, and Julia Hodum of Schindler Elevator Corporation, and they discussed some of the issues that their companies were facing. Julia talked a lot about setting up a DEI organization at an organization from scratch. So I am excited to have you here to talk about you know, your areas of expertise and your role. So can you tell us The companies are hiring your consulting firm to come in and help them with their D&I departments, or are you setting up new departments? Are Are you just going in for trainings? Like, What exactly is your role? Part of the work of Arrowhead Consulting and the work that I get to do is on assessment, working with organizations on trying to understand their areas of opportunity and challenge as it relates to advancing this work and changing policy and practice. So we look at organizational accountability. We look at communication and outreach. 
We look at employee perception, just all the things related to the culture of an organization. And we ask a series of questions. We issue it to everyone in your organization, your board, your staff, your leadership teams. And then ultimately what that gives us is a way to create a framework and a strategy for how to advance this work internally. And so that is really what I get to do as a consultant working in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion. Well, I want to dig in a little bit more about these five things that you mentioned. So so you're at the head of a mid-sized company and maybe your growth has been over the past few years and you're looking to start to pay more attention to diversity at your company. And so, so you call in Arrowhead and you come in to the organization. And so can you talk, walk us through each of these? So what's the first thing you're going to do? The first thing I would do is just talk to you a little bit about what your needs are. And if it's a mid-sized company, typically what they say to me is, is, you know what, we're struggling to find diverse candidates for roles that we have internally. We don't have many, but those that we do, we want to make sure we widen that funnel. Kuma, what are your thoughts on that? And so we can work from a consulting, just sort of hours opportunity where we talk through this, or I could do the equity, the organizational health assessment with a DNI focus. And that is kind of one of our primary tools and products that we offer here. And so through that, I would typically try to understand where they currently recruiting and looking for individuals for the open positions and then giving them suggestions on how to really broaden that funnel so they're not getting that sort of homogenous group, the same people over and over again, which is typically based on who we know, our own circles. And ultimately, we know those circles aren't really diverse, right? I know my circle, I have to be very intentional about trying to reach outside of just my comfort zone. And for many organizations, it's certainly mid-sized companies, they're just kind of operating from that space of what's comfortable and who they know, the same circles. And we have to get outside of that box. What are some suggestions you would have for companies looking to find more diverse candidates, just more candidates in general from different circles, as you said? Are there like platforms, like apps they should go to? Is it, should they be, should they be like changing the specific criteria of jobs to be more open-minded? What are some ideas? Yeah, I think what happens is, is we typically do what we always do. We say, I have an open role. I'm going to just put it on Indeed. I'm going to go to my local, you know, college or junior college and post it with career services or whatever. And, and ultimately what you get is sort of a dominant group culture, the more homogenous individuals. But when you start thinking outside of the box, you're looking at perhaps going to black and Latinx professional organizations. There's black engineering groups or women in construction groups. I mean, just getting a little bit more specific about where you're posting the role would be a very initial suggestion that I would make. Also, for the African-American community, you know, we have a very strong network of fraternities and sororities that are quite strong even after we've all graduated from college. And so many of us have professional connections in that space where I would say, well, why don't you reach out to the local Alpha Phi Alpha or Zeta Phi Beta sorority uh, graduate program at your local college and then see how you can, again, post there in order to get the word out more broadly for the open position that you're hosting. Ultimately, trying to just be more intentional about posting in different places beyond just those regular spots is what's going to get you that view from a unique group. And there are so many more websites that are evolving now. There's Jopwell, which is a place very specific for Black and Latinx professionals looking for new roles. 
There's certainly other Black, Latinx, women, people with disabilities, all these different kinds of organizations that you can be very specific and post your role in order to get attention to it that falls outside of your normal. So that is what we are advising more people to do. Yeah. And it seems the challenge here is just getting the word out to people to do this, right? Like to make them aware of these options. Absolutely. I think we just, right. We're in our mode. We go through work. We think, oh, I just got to post it somewhere. Let me get the word out there. And who we get is who we get. And sometimes it's about holding that position open a little longer to make sure that you're getting the right number of candidates from a broad spectrum of diverse populations. So you mentioned that there are five things that you look at when you're doing your assessment. So that was, so one of them is, I guess what we just discussed, what's the next one? Yeah. Communications and outreach is another one that really people have a lot of challenge in. What I find is that organizations are a little bit fearful. Like if we communicate too much, they might see how little diversity we have inside of our organization. Or if we do too much outreach, we might get called out as being racist or not inclusive. And so what ultimately happens is paralysis or fear. And people aren't communicating that they have jobs open. They're not being more diverse in how they're picturing their organization, showcasing imagery that would showcase a variety of people. There's just some ways about how there's that internal and external perception of the organization that really speaks to communication and outreach that is a big block for companies looking to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so that's one key area that always pops up as red when we do that assessment. Now, when you're talking about communication and outreach, are you talking about outreach to just the local community to spread awareness about the particular company? Or are you talking about just looking for job candidates? All of the above, right? I mean, when I think about outreach, I think, how are you partnering with local organizations across difference to partner on Juneteenth, which is an African-American celebration coming up? Companies often, you know, want to get involved, want to have a presence in the communities, want to expand their image across people that might not be familiar, but yet they're not looking for opportunities to outreach into the community to do that. Ultimately, when you do that, you will get more people saying, oh, I might want to work there. And that's the way you broaden your funnel. And so most companies are just fearful that those kinds of reaches, those kinds of engagements might draw a critical eye to them. And I would say, no, it actually broadens the funnel and gets more people familiar with you and perhaps ways and communities that you aren't connected with you know, more directly. Isn't that ironic? It's ridiculous how we get into this mindset, but it's scary. I mean, we do live in a very divisive time and people are worried that their engagement, their involvement, and maybe not involving in other groups and involving in some might create criticism or protest in some way. And we have to lean into that uncomfortable feeling and sort of get out of our comfort zone, be comfortable being uncomfortable. I know that's a kind of a cliche phrase anymore, but it's very truthful. It's very truthful. And I actually love that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you're speaking with companies in your position as, as D&I consultant, how do you calm them? You know, how do you calm their fears about this? Do you tell them it's just something they need to get past and they just need to do it? Or do you, do you, do you like, do you have examples that you show them where it's actually been more beneficial in the long run? 
Yeah, I mean, there is what is called the business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's really that it's moving from beyond it's the right thing to do, which is, I think, that mentality that we had when diversity and inclusion was popular 10 years ago, it was the right thing to do. But I think what I like to say is the business case is the smart and oftentimes for companies, the profitable thing to do. It means that you have more diversity on your teams, you're going to be more effective, you're going to reach more kinds of people, and ultimately that impacts your bottom line positively. So I do say that. I also say things like, if not you as the white male of the organization or the white female of an organization, if not you, then who? There is not a lot of diverse leaders, Fortune 500 company presidents, you know, organizations. So we need you to have a voice in these conversations and a perspective and a point of view that advances the work because you can't just put that or heap that on the very few individuals of color within your organization. It's a heavy burden and it must be shared across the organization, regardless of your color, regardless of your gender, regardless of your ability. And do you have examples that you use when you're speaking to companies to demonstrate to them how it will give them a competitive advantage? Have you, do you have examples of like maybe other companies where this has been shown to prove true? Yeah, there's a lot of data by Deloitte and McKinsey that I refer to often in a lot of my presentations. But typically, a lot of my conversation comes from personal experience. I have a client in a very predominantly white state. We're talking 94% white. And I went in and did some work with them. And there was the fear, all of the things I've shared with you that came out of this leader's mouth as to why this has been so hard. And and honestly, I said, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. If not you, then who? This will impact your bottom line. And then we created that framework. They went through the assessment that we provided. We gave them all that. We gave them the framework. And just that was last year. Just early this year, they responded to me and said, it's working. I have now five diverse candidates that have applied for a new role that I have open. I'm partnering with an organization in the community that's different and it's bringing in new people and new eyes to us. And I feel like our organization is thriving as a result. So everything you said I was worried about, I'm seeing it come to life. And so that sort of personal story is one that I would share with other people that I'm consulting with to share, you know, that it does work. It does take a little time, but it does work. Yeah. Now, one of the other things you mentioned doing your assessment is employee perception. And there are so many topics we can get into, but I have to talk about this. It's one of my favorite ones, as I hinted to earlier, but I'm a giant nerd about linguistics and language. Language choice, I think, is so important, everyday use, but in the workplace especially. How can we help guide the use of inclusive work? place language. And does that play into the idea of employee perception of inclusivity at the workplace? Absolutely. It absolutely does. You know, I used to work in an organization that we had, you know, smaller office, we had some single stall bathrooms, that one was female, and one was male. And as we think about inclusive language, well, oftentimes, the female bathroom was really, really busy, because there were more women that worked in the organization. And I thought, well, why don't we just do, you know, all gender? (laughs) I mean, why are we sort of segmenting. That's a symbol or sign for someone who might be transgender or otherwise who comes into our organization and sees that we're still sort of caught up in, you know, male and female bathrooms that are single stall. Like, why are we still doing that? So language in our job descriptions, language and how we are labeling our bathrooms even all impacts an employee's perception of how welcoming, how affirming they'll feel in your workplace. And so we need to consider that a lot more. 
I wanted to get a little bit more about the language issue. What are some examples you've seen where in a company, a word that's commonly in use, maybe in an official capacity, maybe not, has changed? And how has that affected morale? How has it affected perception of diversity? You know, I think for me, in terms of the workplace, what's been significant is the use of pronouns and the variety of them that people are choosing for themselves. And so I'll say that there's been a shift, right, from, you know, not acknowledging them at all in terms of how we have our job applications or anything to them being now included in our email signatures and a part of how we introduce ourselves in the beginning of meetings. Those have been some changes in terms of workplace language that I think sort of indicate a company's willingness or aptitude for being more inclusive. And so that's just a small sort of transition I've seen, you know, when the CEO says my pronouns are he, him, and I'm, you know, starts talking in terms of the staff meeting, that's a pretty powerful signal to its employees and to people who might be witnessing that or at a board meeting, right, that this organization gets it and is trying to be more inclusive. So that's just a small example, Emily, of of something that I've seen sort of change in in the years recently. Yeah, it's so important for employees to see their leadership doing that, especially. Oh, yes. I mean, it really comes from the top. And a lot of the work that I do centers on the fact that this work doesn't move fast if it doesn't come from the top. You need that top level leadership to be bought in and can articulate their commitment, why it matters to them personally, but then why it matters to the organization. And without that, you find yourself struggling and sort of grinding your gears. And it really puts your sustainability and relevance as an organization into question when you don't have that top level leadership. Hmm. That's so true. Let's talk about tokenism because you had mentioned in your talking points before the show that that's, that's one of the things that's important to you and, and important to diversity in a company. What is tokenism and how do we avoid it? Yeah, tokenism is that desire to, you know, we check the box. And so if you're approaching diversity, equity, and inclusion from a standpoint of, gosh, let me get diversity. Let me check the box. I've got the black person. I've got that wheelchair user. I've got that gay person, right? And that is that approach that we use. And that's tokenism, where you have one sort of person that is responsible for displaying or being that visible diversity that you want the community or your board or whatever to understand that you have at play. No one wants to be a token. However, I do and have been a pioneer, that first person of color on a board in hopes that my presence opens up that funnel and I can bring on other people so that they're not operating out of tokenism or what could be viewed as tokenism. The ways you avoid it is to make sure that you are also layering in, yes, you want that diversity, you want difference on your staff and within your board, but you also want to make sure that those individuals have a skill set that you need, a competency that will bring value beyond just their visible diversity to your organization. So you want to make sure that you're aligning not only their visible diversity, which would be fabulous, but you want to make sure that their skill set matches and that they have a way to meaningfully contribute to your organization beyond just their look or the visible diversity that they bring. That is how you avoid tokenism. Now, for our listeners who are employees, what can they do at their own places of work to promote DEI? 
Yeah, I think sometimes the best thing you can do is when you have an employee engagement survey and people say, would you recommend this workplace to your friends and family? I mean, that that question alone really speaks to whether your organization gets it or not. And oftentimes people of color or people across difference, when they answer that question, companies ignore it when they see that those scores are low. But as an employee, when you are participating actively with your DNI committee or council, when you have and can give honest feedback during your evaluations or your review, when you are experiencing equal pay and you know that you're getting paid a fair wage for what you're doing for the organization and there's not a huge gap between you and perhaps a white man within the same organization doing the same work, like all of those things really speak to whether the employee perception is good within the organization and whether your people across different stay. I get so many companies say, we're losing our diversity all the time. I can't explain it. What do you think it is? And then when I start asking, well, have you done a pay audit? And they go, no. And I say, what about that one manager who it seems like all the people are leaving because they're reporting to this one guy? Perhaps the problem is that one guy. Have you thought about you know, exiting that person from the organization? Like When you start digging more deeply, there are very real reasons, and they're right in front of your nose as to why people are leaving your organization, especially those who are diverse candidates. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So companies don't even realize that there might be like a specific person that's really like the problem at an organization. Right. Because they don't often do exit interviews. People just leave and they just go and say, la vie, we'll hire someone else. But when you dig a little bit deeper, and part of that is having some metrics, how are you maintaining the retention of your employees across difference? Are you doing exit interviews? And are you investigating challenges or complaints about certain individuals within the organization or certain policies that might be hindering their progress or their ability to be successful in your organization? Those are the policy changes that I hope more organizations will lean in toward because that's the thing that's going to be hindering or sort of supercharging your commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion when you can get those things right. Yeah. Now, what can companies ask their employees, not just at exit interviews, but along the way, along the the whole employment journey, what can they ask them to find out more about, you know, the level of job that they're doing, you know, working toward their diversity achievements? Sure. I think, you know, what one company I saw do, and I thought it was really genius, is they had, they don't wait just annually to ask some of these critical questions. They did quarterly pulse checks, right? It was like five questions. You know, how are you feeling in your work? Do you feel like you are doing meaningful work? Do you feel like you can have an open conversation with your manager or supervisor? All of those things speak to, and that's for everybody within the organization, not just those across difference, but it does get to the heart of like what's sort of under the iceberg of your culture? Is it unwritten feelings, unwritten rules, unsaid things that we don't ask? But when you have a pulse check, you're asking your employees those questions and you're giving them an opportunity to give you some constructive feedback as a leader. And then you can begin to make small shifts in order to see some of those answers improve over time. And I don't think enough companies do that. And so those are some of those basic questions that I would ask. Do you feel welcome and affirmed? Do you feel like you're getting paid well? What's your work-life balance like? Like, you know, and give your employees an opportunity to answer those questions. It'll tell you a lot about your culture and how to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, more leaders should really do this. So what would you say is the 
quality that like might be the most important quality or some of the most important qualities for a leader at a company to have in order to advance diversity? You know, I've found, and there's tons of qualities that, you know, leaders should have, but I've found personally that certainly since COVID, honesty and vulnerability have been the key characteristics that leaders need to have to keep people in the organization. I think more and more individuals are leaning for, you know, if I'm going to go to work every day, I'm going to do something I like. I'm going to do something I love. I'm going to be with people that care about me and therefore I care about them. That shift has happened since COVID. And so we've seen the great resignation. People are leaving because they're not seeing that or feeling that in the workplace. And so when a leader can be vulnerable and say, we're struggling here. I need your help. Or here's how I personally feel, or I'm challenged in this area. The more a leader can articulate that, the better off the employees feel about it being, you know, you're a human, you're sharing with us some of your challenges, and therefore they rise to the occasion to help advance that organization, to make it truly successful and inclusive. And we don't give them enough of a chance to do that. And so that's one of the characteristics I think would be really important in a leader in 2022 is that vulnerability and that honesty. And transparency is very important. So amazing. Yeah, this is great. It reminds me of, you know, when you mentioned vulnerability, I think of Brene Brown. Yes. (laughs) She's the queen of vulnerability now. And I almost hated to say that, but obviously there's something to it. She's very popular now for a reason. And I do believe that that is a key component of leadership and will be a trend moving forward. The more real, the more transparent, the more vulnerable you can be. And I'm not saying cry every day in front of your your teams. I'm just saying the more you can acknowledge the challenges, the burdens and opportunities, the better off you'll be and the better off your organization will be. Okay. Anything else that you would like to share with us, with our audience about DNI in general, about Arrowhead? consulting and what you do and, or, you know, just about the message that you want to get across. Yeah. I would just say that there's a quote that I love and it says, it's by Lila Watson. And she says, if you've come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And I use that as an ending quote for many of my presentations, because I believe organizations approach this work from a help I just want to help you. I just want to help people who are different. Let's just help the black people, help the Latinx, help the this, help the that. But when you realize as an organization that your relevance, your sustainability, your dollar, your bottom dollar, all of those things are bound up with how well you engage with and provide opportunity and advancement for those across difference, then we can indeed work together and society and your organization will be better for it. And so as a parting words, let's not lean in on help anymore. Let's really understand that our liberations are bound up together and let us work together to advance this work. Oh, yeah. That is such a beautiful quote, Kuma. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Thank you, Emily. Where can our listeners find you if they want to get in touch or follow you on social? Yeah, I'm on the speaker circuit and you can just visit arrowheadconsulting.com and visit our speakers page and I'm there and also do consulting work for the company. In general, I'm on LinkedIn at Kuma Roberts. And so uh, looking forward to making a lot more connections and continuing these conversations with more companies and organizations looking to do this work. Kuma Roberts, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Arrowhead Consulting, working with many corporate clients to improve their DEI. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today in the Hazard Girls podcast. We enjoyed it so much, and you've really opened our eyes to a lot of issues. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Emily. It's been a pleasure. So excited to be with you. Thanks so much. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.